You're listening to The Life of Try. It's triathlon for your ears. This is The Life of Try. Phil Rockner driving this bus at the minute. And uh, before I get to uh, a great man, I, I'm not talk about myself, but I was out the other day and I was out on a gravel ride and the gravel was very smooth and I was having a nice time and it was a lovely time out in the country. And I was getting to a bit of a hard section and there's some uphills and there was some really hard gravel started to get all, all sort of messy and stuff like that. And I, you know, I was starting to really struggle because I haven't been on a bike for a little while, but as, as I, as I started to get into my hypoxic days, I, I stopped and I saw a vision of a man glancing over the ocean with the wind rippling in his hair and a, just a contemplative look on his face. And I felt calmed by that. And then I realized it was the one and only Kevin McKinnon standing on a beach in Lanzarote with his rippling muscles and his dreamy gaze casting over all things. And I felt comforted. And my ride was a complete success. Kevin, welcome back, buddy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What are you going to come up with next? Oh, really that is classic. Yeah, I really killed a minute on that too. What a – wow. <laughs> Kevin, welcome <laughs> back, buddy. Yes, thank you. Um, I did uh, – yes, I had my whirlwind trip to Lanzarote that – I ended up having to uh, cut short because I also had to be announcing at the championship last weekend. So I did the presser for for Ironman Lanzarote on Thursday, jumped on a plane. I uh, slept for two hours on a bench in Dublin airport and uh, made it to uh, Slovakia in time to do the press conference for the championship on Friday. So, and then uh, announced okay, all so weekend at the championship. But here's the coolest thing from the whole weekend. So um, uh, I needed to get someone to cover for me in Lanzarote. So my daughter, Chelsea, ended up being uh, one of the announcers. So she actually did the uh, roll down and the award ceremony and race day announcing for me. There you go. Trying to just keep it in the family there. Absolutely. And, and I told them before my one big concern was that I'd never get hired back again. And <laughs> first thing my wife said when we reconnected on uh, in London on Monday was, yep, Chelsea was way better than you. You're never going back there. <laughs> I was like, oh, perfect. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, beaten by my own daughter. Do you know, you, it's an old television adage, Kevin, and you, you know, that when you, like when the star of the show, like on talk shows and stuff has a break, they always get a dud to come and, you know, sit in for them because they're no threat. You, my friend, went the opposite. You got a rock star and look what's happened to you. I know. Total uh, total big mistake there. But, hey, if I'm going to lose the gig to anyone, it might as well be Chelsea. So, Well, there you go. Rookie uh, rookie mistake from you, sir. Um, <laughs> a little bit going on in the triathlon world, it's fair to say. There's lots going on. But before we get to that point, I often like to sort of open up with a little bit of a whinge. Uh, and But today I'm not really – pointing it outside of the world of triathlon because normally I find things just in common life that annoy me and we've done the 
dual climate aircon. We've done people with uh, metal detectors on the beach. You know, stuff that really just is no one's concern, but it's mine because I'm a petty man. But I, I, I must admit, I was uh, having a little chat on the tweeter box uh, on on the uh, the other day, and it, I'm, I'm not at that active on Twitter to be honest. I, I do enjoy chatting to people, and I like uh, watching and seeing some of the sporting stuff that you do get on Twitter. Um, shout out too to Brad Culp. We should do that, mate of ours, uh, who frighteningly had another child last week. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> So congratulations to uh, to Brad and uh, and extended family. Um, he's a good mate. Um, so I want to give him a little. Yeah, push. he and great. Yeah, congrats for sure to Brad yeah. on that front. Correct. Even though he's a complete douche, but um, anyway, uh, no, just Brad, <laughs> funny man. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, what came up was the the uh, pro or, or age groupers who are coming in and just tearing it up. And this is one that's reared its head a few times, but I do like to chat about it because I do think it's interesting. Um, if you've if you're a pro age grouper, like you you come in and and they're generally people who aren't professionals, but they still maybe work, uh, you know, not much during the week, and they train thirty hours a week, and they're age groupers. They're not a new breed; they've been around forever, but they seem to be. If you want to get in a top ten position in a big race, Kevin, I think you're you're pretty much dreaming. Now, you coach age groupers. Tell me, am I true, or is that sort of something that's incorrect? So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not totally sure on what you're saying. Like top ten overall in a race, and, well, and it's some just of in, these. If you want to win your age group, so you know, a pro age group is what I call them. Uh, if you want to win your age group, and there's a guy called Andy Macker, uh, who is, was chatting to me on Twitter and he was saying to qualify for an age group card, you must train maximum of 12 hours a week, um, work at least 30 hours a week based on your income tax. Otherwise you have to race with the regular pro folks. So it's a, it's a funny comment. It's not going to have any legs, but it's certainly one that, you know, how do you beat a pro age grouper? Like you just don't, do you? Well, I, I don't know. So, you know, my wife, I've watched her for two years um, just be buried in COVID stuff. She's a public health nurse. She got promoted to be a supervisor, um, what, a year and a half ago. And, like, I've never seen her so stressed uh, with work and never seen her work as much as she has. Um, she just won her age group in Lanzarote. So, um, so you know, now you know, that's 60 to 64. So I'm not sure if he's maybe talking about the younger age groups and stuff, but um, yeah, no, you, you can totally uh, do it. And um, yeah, I think there's a, that's the story of Iron Man. You look at, you look at a lot of these folks, um, they're, you know, they work up a storm and still manage to train quite a bit and, um, and do really well. So you know, a lot of them are just really talented athletes too. Uh, that's true. That is hundred percent true, and and it is to the exclusion of most things. If you're doing that right, like I say, if you're working again, two things struck me on that comment, Kevin. A, you're surrounded by overachievers. You are. You need to lift, my friend. Um, and B, um, it really does. I think we're talking about that really competitive thirty-five to thirty-nine age groups, the forty forty-fours. You know, people who have probably not. You know, or made it, you know, and I'm not bagging them. If you've made a success of yourself and you can afford to train 30 hours a week because you've got a job that allows you to do that, 
you kind of almost become that pro age group where you are, you know, you're, you're running sub nines in an Ironman at that age still, you're in the low nines, you know, like you are an invincible machine. Yeah. And, and, and you did hit the nail on the head. Those folks, um, I'm guessing a lot of them, it is work and training and sleep. You know, there's, there's not a whole lot else in their life. And so, yeah, if they choose to do that, then what's wrong with that? They're not trying to get a pro card. And then the other thing too is, um, it is, it's pretty amazing to see when, when, your age group types move up to the pro ranks. Um, it is a whole different race. And yes, sometimes the times, um, you know, some of the pro times just don't seem as fast, like as you go down, but you know, you and I have both seen what happens at, you know, the Ironman world championship where you get this train moving along. Um, and it's very different to an age grouper who gets to just put their head down and blast for for the entire bike ride where you, you're sitting in there you're constantly having to worry am i am i 10 meters am i nine meters am i 11 meters i gotta slow up a little bit i got you know there's there's all this stuff that goes on that makes it a very complicated process and and a little tougher than people uh, than people think with that move up now now that said uh, lydia dan who won ironman lanzarote she won a few races overall as an age grouper and finally last year decided you know what screw this noise i'm quitting my corporate job and i'm going to do the pro thing um which you know to me is really cool she um she's only done pro races in lanzarote as far as i can tell uh fifth in 70.3 lanzarote last year seventh um at 70.3 lanzarote earlier this year and then one Ironman Lanzarote, her first go. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I don't know. Like, there's a, an age group type who decided to move on up and is doing really well. And I respect that. And look, if you're good enough to be a pro, be a pro. And if you want to train 30 hours a week, I'm not. I'm not disputing it, or am I dispute? I'm just saying that there are beasts out there who don't have regular jobs or have peeled it back to a point so they can train. It does it does make those people who work the 40 hours a week and, you know, can still ace their age group or, or be on the podium. Um, pretty fantastic. I saw a tweet the other day and I'm talking about a month ago, but I didn't bring it up cause I'd forgotten about it. And as I was talking about pro age groupers, there's a dude, Alan cousins. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work uh, on Twitter. And he was talking about, uh, he tweeted the other day, it was about a month ago, and he said, just like training, be boring and build a constant routine. Food is fuel. Food is not entertainment. Athletes who develop consistent meal patterns are able to better monitor and control the nutrition to optimally, optimally, I should say, match their training. And I read that and I thought, oh, the fuck I want to do that for my life. You know, and I know there are people who do, and I get that. And Alan's writing for people who want to do that, not me. He's not searching for me because I'm the sort of dude who's going, you know what? If I have to live like that, and if I have to go, few, uh, food is is fuel, and it's not entertainment. What the fuck am I living for? Like, you know, at what point are you gonna? It just it just struck a bigger chord with me than just, you know, typically going out and training. If you can't enjoy your life, and we saw this week what happened in America that you know anything at any given point is transitional. You know, um, 
it just struck a bigger chord with me that if you lived like that, like, you know, that food is fuel, it's not entertainment, and you are so buttoned down with everything you did, are you missing out on the bigger things in, in life? Uh, well, yeah. I, I think triathletes, there are a lot of triathletes. I don't want to do the huge generalization. There yeah. are a lot of triathletes for whom um, extremes are the way to go. Um, so mm. moderation is not something they're very good at. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. Like, you know, to me, there needs to be a little bit of balance, a little bit of moderation, um, and all that stuff. I always tell people like, think about whatever you're planning on doing, you're going to do this for the rest of your life. So be that your exercise program, your, your nutrition, your diet, whatever. Um, and just make it a lifestyle that you can see that, you know, that will give you some joy and stuff. Um, but yeah, it, very often you see people go right to the, the extremes with stuff and not, qu- yeah, not quite my pet peeve, like the watch in the water, but uh, close to it. Yeah, I agree. I just, I just think you, you, you just, if you're going to live like that, man, far out, like more power to you, if that's what you want to do. And I'm not judging because that's your road, but I'm judging you. <laughs> <laughs> to say that yeah and i think you're bang on if people want to go that route that is great more power to them and all that stuff um but uh you know i see just a lot of times that people can't sustain it or you know they they go you know they just do it for a few years and then get completely burnt out yeah which and is too bad because it's it, this is a great lifestyle sport to just make part of your life not all of your life there you go, beautifully put. Because you do look back at it, and just as a sub, a little sub clause to that, uh, I remember a few years back now on on the first off the bike website, and we put up an, an article about Damien Angus, who's a really well known age gripper down here in Australia, and I, I'm not sure how much he's racing now, but Danger was a monster, you know, age group winner at Kona. Pretty sure he won his age group multiple times in uh, in Australian Ironmans and stuff, like just an absolute monster. And he claimed to us in 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 an article that he'd, he'd trained 14 hours a week and that was it um and that just set <laughs> set everybody off oh my god you can't do it on 14 hours a week oh you're full of shit you know people went crazy on it it was a really fun article because it just the website got hit like a pinata um but you know and it just the claim itself that 14 hours a week was what he needed um i don't know but it's a fun it's a fun uh i guess it's a fun side of the the sport to talk about is you know, how much training does an age group actually need? Well, you know, I, I, I tell the story. Um, a lot of times I had a guy one year that I was coaching um, and, uh, you know, he came to me, he was a good athlete, had just missed qualifying for Kona a bunch of times and said, I really want to go to Kona. And I said, yeah, okay, it looks like you're in the ballpark. We'll just need to do the right kind of training. And then he said, yeah, well, I live in New York. I'm on the road. Monday through Friday, and I'm home on the weekends. Um, I was like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was quite that crazy uh, training program. But, you know, he and he wasn't doing more than 14 hours a week. I promise you that much. Um, I managed to negotiate so that he was in Chicago every Friday morning. And he joined, a, it was either Thursday or Friday, joined a master swim club there so he could get a routine swim done and all, all this kind of stuff. We just had this whole schedule. He was just super consistent for, I was about a year, 11, 12 months. 
um, super consistent, not an, an insane amount of training, but just really nailed it every week. And, you know, eventually he got to Kona. So, yeah, I would argue, you know, all those people are saying, oh, no, you can't do it, can't do it. You can if you're willing to be, you know, super, super consistent, super dedicated and, uh, you know, get all the stu- right stuff done. And you're, yeah. and sorry, I need to also go back. You need to be a good athlete. Uh, 14 hours a week to do all that kind of stuff. You've got to be a you know really good athlete to be able to to uh, do all that stuff. And that's what people miss, you know. And that's what they missed about the uh, Angus article was because the guy was an absolute beast. So, you know, it would work for him. It may not work for everybody else, but it certainly, uh, yeah, it certainly um, worked for him as well. One thing it did work for this week in Europe, the championship. Now. When the championship first showed up, it was a pretty uh, – everyone got real excited. Now, given it was so close to St. George, uh, what tell me about the vibe. Was it as big as it has been or was it a little bit – it seemed to me a little bit flat? Huh. Um, so, yeah, you know, th- there certainly weren't, um, you know, quite as many of the uh, – big names, but definitely very competitive fields. Um, and on this, on the venue, very exciting. Like we had a couple of exciting races, excuse me. And that has always pretty much been, I don't know if it's the venue and the course and, you know, just the athletes who are there, but on, on the ground, it was, uh, definitely, uh, very exciting, but I could see, you know, coming off of St. George and you're, you got the sub seven, sub eight, and you don't have any of the, you know, other than Gustav Eden, um, you know, a number that the super big names had just raced in St. George. So, uh, so they weren't there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a super interesting event just because, uh, as I said, that venue, the X bionic sphere is quite unique. Um, it's the, you know, Olympic training center for Slovakia and big horse grounds and just a, a very neat venue for a race. Um, and, uh, so that really helps to kind of generate that atmosphere. And I didn't see any of the coverage, but, uh, generally the coverage of that event has been pretty strong as well. So, um, and they've had, they've been just lucky with, a a bunch of really good races. So that Yeah, helps. and but this is where the sport falls over, in my opinion, right? This is where, this is the fundamental flaw in in, in triathlon. I'm not talking about um, world triathlon. I'm talking about, the, you know, the, the Olympic. I'm talking anything above that. That's where it all falls over because there are too many, as we know, too many companies trying to, you know, compete for, for athletes and for races. And, and this is where the, the sport really falls over. Um, you know, because you said the venue seems to be really cool. It's clearly well-funded um, and it's clearly a good race, yet it gets patronized by a bunch of Europeans. No, no disrespect to the, to, the, to the men and women who race this in the pros, but it wasn't what St. George was looking at. And certainly if it had its own uh, air to breathe, as it were, uh, you would think, and it was part of a, you know, a rotating um, or a bigger, bigger function of world title, uh, it would actually be a good deal and it would be fun to watch. And it would be, you know, they race there every year. It just, the sport just doesn't learn. It punches itself in the dick every single time it does this. You know, it doesn't learn that 
all these competing companies, Ironman, Challenge, PTO, all that stuff is just counter to the growth of the sport. Yeah, I, I totally hear where you're coming from, but I think you have to um, take a little bit of a step back. This year has been, or this year is going to be just nuts in terms of all of this. And we're going to be having, I think, similar conversations more than a few times this year. Uh, just because how often do you have two Ironman World Championships, a 70.3 World Championship, um, all in the same year? You've got this sub seven, sub eight, and yes, it's only four athletes, but it's sucking up a lot of um, attention and a lot of big names as well. Um, and promises to be interesting. We should probably talk about that a bit. Um, and then, um, and then you've got these PTO events that are hitting the scene as well. So it's just a complicated year of, you know, we already have a sport that can get watered down in a hurry. And then we have just blasted a bunch of big events and, you know, how on earth are we going to get the bodies to all of these to make them exciting? Yeah, but it's I 100% agree. But at what point are we going to stop worrying about COVID and trying to get back on track and all that shit and start actually, you know, again, the PTO is, is, is what they're doing is great, but it is undermining everything again, right? So as you said, there's just not enough, there's just not enough athletes to do all these races, not enough good ones. Um, well, I, there are more than enough athletes. Like you and I have both talked about the fact that there are, um, there are too many registered pros. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, and the PTO, I, I feel like is is trying to get a handle on all of that, and they've received some flack for for that. Um, so, yeah, there there's lots of pros. It's just, you know, we instead of having four majors like tennis or, or golf this year, we, it seems like we've got eight um, that, you know, that everybody's trying to call a big race and a major and, and the, it just isn't fitting into the calendar um, as no. well. So no. yeah, it, it's, it's going to be an interesting one because the other thing too is, you know, we're seeing these athletes bounce back from Ironmans and, and all that stuff, but Eesh, it, it, is it asking a bit much? Um, you know, I know Christian Blumenfeld likes to go until he drops, but, you know, he just finished winning the world championship when he was sick. He's getting ready for the sub seven, sub eight, and then he wants to go back to Kona again. Like that's three monstrous full distance races in a year. And I, yeah. I know I'm older than Methuselah or whatever. And, and um, you know, back in the old days, um, things were very different in terms of equipment and training and recovery and yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, you didn't see Dave Scott and Mark Allen hitting three monster Ironmans in a year. You know, Mark Mark would do um, Nice and win that every year and then cruise on out to Kona. Um, but every, everyone else, it was sort of one big Ironman a year. And that, that was it. So yeah. be interesting to see how it all shapes out. That's the problem with the sport. We've been through this ad nauseum. The problem with the sport is recovery. You can't just do it. But I would put it to you though. Yeah. If, if we have, we, if we put this in golf terms, 
we have a number of pros racing these races, but they're they're equivalent of the pros at playoff ten handicap, not scratch. You know, they're just they're just not the same standard as the hitters. They're not. Um, and every time they add an event, the pressure is on the pros to go, Jesus, which one do I do for my sponsors, for money, for you know, for exposure? What do I do? It's it's a minefield for them. For the new men and women coming through, they get a lot more choice, but they're not I mean, there's still a category one professional and then, you know, a category two professional in my opinion. And and what we're seeing at the moment at the at the championship, I thought we saw, you know, there's a few cat one pros certainly there. There's a lot of cat two ones as well. Um and it wasn't again, I'm not it's our sort of not our job, but it's certainly our right to to look at the pro fields. Um, I've always said, if you don't want to be scrutinized, don't be a pro in any sport, go and be an amateur and no one will care about you. Um, and in this point, you know, the pros aren't that great and the championship gets let down because it's a cool event with cool, um, uh, setup. And, you know, you've got a few guys in there doing really well. And the men's obviously, uh, Gustav Eden winning. I mean, he's obviously cat one. Um, but then, you know, you sort of start looking at a range of athletes you probably haven't heard that much about. Yeah. So, um, so just to, I, I want to push back on that a little bit um, in that, uh, you know, the, the, it's way more competitive. This is when, when North American pros head on over to Europe, they are blown away at just how, competitive um things are over in europe you know that that they just kind of go whoa there's 10 or 12 people racing at this level um that you know there would only be two or three of us in in north america at one of the one of the races so um you know there's there's a uh on out on that run it was really interesting even Gustav Eden, like he felt, you know, I think he was very much in control out on the run and stuff. Um, but, you know, there was a bunch of people who were, you know, staying right with him. And um, I, I think it was Thomas Steger was running along through the first lap and actually had it in his head. Like he said, I was feeling so good. I thought I was going to beat Gustav Eden. I was, you know, then the world fell apart. Somebody handed him a fridge for the last vast 10K. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but, you know, these guys are coming up and realizing, Hey, you know what? I can race with these, with these folks. Um, you know, Peter, uh, Hemerich, uh, Richard Varga had an amazing race was sort of right yeah, in the mix there. He's, um, he's a top line pro Kevin. He's like, he's not a, you know, I'm not looking at him. Josh Amberg is in there. He's, you know, super good, um, yeah. athlete winning. You know, I'm not, they're not the guys I'm pointing at. Right. I'm, I'm and again, I'm, I'm not. I'm not generalizing. I'm probably generalizing a little bit, but I'm just saying, like, it's not a stacked field. It's not, you know, there's only 12 women racing. You know, that's yeah, kind of. No, like- I, t- I totally hear you there. I'm just. I guess what I'm saying is, um, the one thing that I I feel like we're seeing the PTO, the difference the PTO is making is that um, we're starting to see some of these folks who we really hadn't heard of or didn't know much about. Who are yeah. really coming through, and I think they're what they're doing is they're they're going all in. They're seeing right now that um, there's some money to be had out there that you know this is worth going. So Lydia Dent, you know, looks around and goes, 
heck, I, I might as well give this pro thing a shot. Gives up a corporate job to do it. Now, you know, you're, you're doing that because you love triathlon and stuff, but at least it's a little more viable for her to do that. And she comes through and and wins uh, Ironman Lanzarote over Els Fisser, who's the real deal. Um, and, you know, Els is a, you know, won, won some full distance events and can be competitive at others and all that stuff. So she's the real deal. And then um, uh, Kenneth Vandendriesch, um, normally known as a, as a big name duathlete, um, figures out how to stay close enough in the water and uh, has a monstrous win in Lanzarote. And then, you know, as I said, you got the Thomas Steger, Kyle Smith from New Zealand. This guy is, you know, he was 11th in, um, in St. George, but, um, and then comes back for, I think it was fifth uh, yeah. at the championship, bouncing back and um, keep an eye on him. He's the real deal as well. So, mm. well, um, and also too, you, you've got um, Ashley Gentle racing around as well. She's, starting to step into that uh, longer setup a lot nicer too, yeah. I think. Um, she clearly, you know, is, is world-class. Um, but look. Yeah, and, and Sarah Perez-Sala, who won that race, totally on fire. Uh, Lucy Buckingham, I always have to stop myself from wanting to call her Lucy Hall. She got married on me sometime over the year. Um, but, uh, you know, she can be competitive with the best of them. Um and Emma Pallant Brown, you know, always uh, feature as well. So very, very competitive women's race there. And um, yeah, it was a huge breakthrough day for Sarah Perez Sala um, to to get that win. So um, oh, and then Daniela Blamel, um, you know, the super mom coming off the win at uh, Ironman South Africa. So uh, small women's field, but definitely some some decent names on that front so um anyway i i hear what you're saying um but i'm hopeful that we're starting to see some more talent uh come on up so that that category one that you're describing i feel like it's growing and i feel like the pto um you know just with that injection of cash over the last three years is helping that process now, uh, yeah. now, I also, adding, I also feel three, too, though, that... adding three major races doesn't help the process. <laughs> so it's sort of a, a complicated thing on that front. But uh, but that's going to help some of these these folks that we we haven't really heard of. You know, I don't think Gustav Eden is planning on doing a lot of the PTO stuff because he's got Ironman World Championship. He's got. Um, uh, he really wants to try and get qualifying points for Paris. So I, my bet is we'll see Gustav Eden at the Collins Cup, but I, my guess is we won't see him at either of the, the Canadian Open or the U.S. Open. And I feel like there could be some more big names who are doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I would look, I wouldn't be... Um... I wouldn't be surprised. I, I just, and there are, look, in all sports, whether we look at golf, tennis, et cetera, those ones, there are those who are the top line and those who are thereabouts. And the thereabouts are, um, you know, trying to make their way into that top, uh, that upper echelon. Um, but it's, you know, like all things, you, not everyone can be in that top and not everyone can be the, um, the best. So, you know, there's always got to be those who miss out and those who are involved, uh, I think as well. So, yeah, while we mentioned a number of good names, at some point when they do 
uh, essentially get their act together and do start doing a Cat 1 Pro, um, that Cat 2 class would be still pretty decent as well. Absolutely. And the, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> their ability to, it's interesting how you see some people who are much more consistent. So you pretty much, Gustav Eden, you know what you're getting as long as he's healthy and able to start the race, right? Um, and then you have some people who are just not as consistent. Sometimes they have a flyer and have a great race, and then other times they're further back. So um, it's all all very complicated trying to pull this stuff out of the hat. Yeah, it is. Um, but in um, 70.3 Chattanooga, uh, where we had, uh, was it North American Championships? Yes, um, Ironman 70.3 North American Championships. And uh, yeah, I, I wasn't able to really pay much attention to that race. I was busy at the championship. But um, yeah, it, it, interesting. So Jackie Herring, I, I'm sure, is a, a name that you're not super familiar with. She was at the Collins Cup last year and one of the top U.S. Um, US pros. And uh I not exactly a breakthrough race for her because she's had some decent wins in the past, but to to top Paula Findlay and um, Holly Lawrence, I think uh, was probably a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people, but uh, kind of a, a a big race for her on that front. So you know, there's a name. I'm not sure where you would have put her. She definitely is in the count one, but probably not as well known as many of the uh, other big name pros. Not at all, um, and a great result. Anytime you can do, anytime you can beat a British uh, athlete at the moment, you're doing well. Um, there were three Americans who won in the yeah, men's former seven point three world um, champ. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were. I mean, again, the the, the Canadians got uh, Jackson Laundry. Laundry. What do we call Jackson Laundry? Ended up just off the podium. Um, you know, he had his huge win at uh, Oceanside. Um, earlier this year, and that um, you know Jackson was uh, oh, fourth or fifth. I think he was fifth at the seventy point three Worlds last year. Um, he's the real deal, and uh, just couldn't quite get himself onto uh, the podium. So um, you know, Jason West is another another one of those names that you probably haven't heard a whole lot of, but over here in North America, he's been. Um, getting more and more consistent. I definitely had a few 70.3 wins. Please don't ask me which ones. Um, and, uh, you know, but, you know, he, he had a, a great day. I'm trying to remember who ended up second. Oh, yeah, uh, Matt Hansen managed to run his way up to, uh, to second. And uh, Rudy Von Berg um, taken third. You know, he was third at the 70.3 Worlds in 2019. So another uh, big name there. So, um, fourth for Jackson Laundry, but some big names ahead of him and uh, definitely right in the mix. Like he was right in there uh, until the last mile or so. So pretty cool racing. Yeah, good to see too. An Aussie hit there, Steve McKenna, uh, lad from, I believe, Adelaide, um, which means he'd still be riding a Shogun bike and he wouldn't have seen <laughs> He'd still be using clips on his pedals. Uh, the old oh, ones. Yeah, he's because every time you land in Adelaide, they say "Welcome to Adelaide," where the time is nineteen eighty four. So, um, yeah, good joint. Just uh, thank God I don't live there. Um, 
and also I believe he might be one of the he might he might have been uh, in that top five years. And also good to see two in try back in town, Tim O'Donnell. Um, he's back. Yes, holy jumping! What a great race! Uh, what a great race for him! I have um, I managed to chat with uh, Tim down at uh, Clash Miami, and uh, was just so cool to see him back from. You know, I hate that term, widowmaker, <laughs> um, heart attack. <laughs> but, uh, like, I just like, oh man, that's a that's a brute. But it kind of hits home as to how close to uh, not making it he came. Yeah, he's a good lad. Um, I spoke to him a couple of times after Kona, and always uh, very generous with his time, um, and always super expressive. Chatting to him was always fun because he he wouldn't hold back, um, and nice to see him. You know. When a guy goes through that, you think life first, and then you, you know, family obviously sits there, and then you think sports second. So it is nice that he is back. Um, I guess too, uh, I did before we did wrap this. I want to want to chat a little bit about my old mate Starkey. Um, now, I, I, I before we got on here, we did have a little chat, and I said to I said to Kevin, um, I want to talk about irrelevant athletes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was not going near that one, but uh, no. you're no. Anyway, I <laughs> I like Starkey. I just there's something about him. I just there's uh, you know. Anyway, there was a, a comment made during the um on the on the Twitter. Um, and he he's tweeted that some people don't like vanilla vanilla personalities, or hashtag swim draft run triathlon. And then he wrote, that's why I exist. I thought that was lovely. Um, he was replying to something Brad Culp and I were talking about, which would have been complete nonsense. Um, but nice to see him uh, in fine form. He was mentioning uh, a range of things this week. So if you want something funny, give the man a follow on Twitter. He's, uh, he's a pretty funny guy. But um, he's certainly not. It's interesting, isn't it? We There's a young footballer playing in the Australian Football League at the moment because we're in the middle of that. And he's really showy. He has peroxide of blonde hair. And every time he scores, he waves around like a clown. He does a whole bunch of really, you know, he's very over the top. But he's massively polarizing, Kevin. And I just wondered, you know, we've never really had anybody who's Dennis Rodman or anyone who's, you know, Starkey would be one of the closest we've had to it. And even he is still, I mean, he's not over the top, is he? He's not crazy. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I certainly, I certainly still wrestle with the whole Starkey. Uh, you know that when he tested positive, and um, you know, USA Triathlon went out of their way to call him to say, "Hey, you don't have um, whatever. Uh, what is it called when uh, when you've got the permission to take one of the banned substances? Therapeutic exemption." Uh, and and they called him to say you don't have that you can't race and he still went and raced like you know just I shake my head so I, I, yeah I wrestle Starkey as you say super nice guy but sometimes um, you just shake your head as to <laughs> some of the stuff that uh, that uh, that happens but um, yeah definitely polarizing no two ways around that oh yeah hell yeah I'm not arguing about his you know that whole drug thing I don't you know. I'm talking about the man. The man himself is hilarious. He's a yes. dick. You know, that was a dick move, but it is what it is. 
Um, hey, so, but we haven't seen the the point I was trying to raise. I guess we haven't seen that sort of big character, though, do we? Like Triathlon doesn't tend to. Uh, and, and again, if if it did, imagine someone shows up, you know, and and you know was loud and brash and and carried on a lot, and you know, it, it's kind of like and this poor kid playing in the Australian League. He's damned if he does now, and he's damned if he doesn't. You know, if he goes back into his shell, everyone goes, oh well, you got the stuffing, not the out of it's no great. But if he keeps going, everyone thinks he's a dickhead. So it's hard, isn't it? Like so, we don't have like big personalities in sport are so hard because if you do go flat out and you are you know brash and loud and you make you know off the cuff comments all the time, you're kind of playing with fire, aren't you? Yeah, and, and it's just part of it is just not the nature of our sport, and that and that's what made Maca so polarizing um, yeah. back in the you know two thousands early and mid two thousands when. You know, he would sit at the press conference and just say his thing and and drive everyone uh, drive everyone crazy. And it was doing exactly what he wanted, which was getting the attention and getting the folks that he wanted riled up, riled up. Um, but yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of those people in our sport, and I, I just think it's part of the nature of the beast. And you you look at Lionel Sanders with you know super big character and everything. But he's doing so much better over the last year when he's just seemingly taking a step back and mellowing a little bit. Um, so, you know, part of it, uh, of the success is being able to um, uh, just uh, be able to put out that kind of stuff and that effort at the right times. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's just not the nature of our beast. <laughs> For, for endurance athletes to be like that generally, I think. No, and look, you know, early doors in the sport, you're looking at guys like Welshy and that who were, they were loud and they carried on a lot, but they were still, I don't know, they weren't, they weren't kooks about it. They weren't being, you know, they weren't disrespectful. They were just them, you know, like everyone. Yeah, no, well, Welshy, Welshy is like one of the funniest guys on the planet, right? Um, yeah. Like just yeah. such a great character. But always um, a super class act. Like Welchie would never be disrespectful to anyone on this planet. No, nope. um, and and that's the you know that's where the the difference between you know, that's why everyone on the planet loves Greg Welch and half the planet hates Chris McCormick, um, right? Because yeah. you know he 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 was quite happy to be as disrespectful as he felt he wanted or needed to be um, if it was going to get him the result. Welchie would never do that. Um, so that's no. sort of the, the difference you're looking at there. Yeah, 100%. And and look, it worked for Macker, as you said. It worked beautifully for him because he drew energy from it. The more that people gave him crap, the better he went. Um, the more he could be polarizing, the more it was better. He was a boxer trapped in a triathlete's body, all that stuff. you know. Like And, and that worked for him. You know, but having worked with, you know, they always say to you, never meet your heroes. And I, when I was a young bloke, uh, you know, when I was 14, 15, starting out in the sport of triathlon, Greg Welsh was, you know, hitting his peak. And I idolized the guy, you know, like, and, and they say never meet your heroes, but I worked with Welsh at Ironman Live, I reckon, three times. Um, and he was as every bit the description you've just said, you know, even when the camera turned off. He was never, ever disrespectful. He never gave anyone crap. He was exactly what you see on any 
broadcast you've ever seen, that's what he's like off air. He's genius. Um, and as you said, universally loved. Um, you know, the perfect perfect storm of athletic genius and and just enough crazy to be interesting, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, absolutely. Guy was, um, well, I, I said it there, just class act in every way, shape and form. Mm. So. Well, and he better send me something now for uh, giving him that huge plug. Oh, God, no. I owe, I owe Welchie so much. <laughs> uh, that's the last thing he would ever need to do. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, just, just a great guy. Like, so just here's an example of, of Welchie. Um, so when he was getting inducted into the Iron Man Hall of Fame, um, he was up on the stage and um, – we had this joke. Uh, I was working at uh, Ironman Florida one year and I'd been typing for five, six hours straight. And I just kind of looked up and went, God, I would kill for a coffee. And uh, Greg Welch and Paula Newby Fraser said, okay, yeah, we'll go get you one, Kevin. And they walk out the room and I, I looked at the other guys in the room and I said, I got two Ironman world champions getting me coffee. Like <laughs> what is wrong with this picture? Um, and so uh, Welchie is doing his uh, his speech, uh, Iron Man uh, Hall of Fame acceptance speech, and he looks down and sees me in the crowd, and he's going through his thank yous, and he goes, "Hey, and and Kevin, uh, Kevin McKinnon, I will get you coffee forever." <laughs> and I was like, you know, how how cool is that? You know, he included me in this. Yeah. I actually got a copy of his speech. I wasn't in it. He just did that on the cuff, on the fly, because he saw me there. Yeah, and, that's amazing. And felt like that would mean something to me. Like, that's Greg Welch to a T yeah. in my mind. You know, just um, class act in every way, shape, and form. 100%. You know, and the other the, before we wrap this, the last person or two, Mark Allen's the same. I, I've interviewed him a number of times, and I reckon the last time I did was only this summer, uh, just gone. And off air, you couldn't couldn't want for a better person my god what a cool dude like just so funny and engaging and interested in what you were doing you know they're the ones who uh really you know that they're you know they they you know what's this about what are you doing how's it all go you know they're just interested um in what you're up to which again who's interested in what i'm up to probably no one um but yeah he's he's crazy really funny guy um and yeah very absolutely very and, and it was funny because when i i had a long interview with mark uh first year of Ironman niece. And, um, you know, I sort of commented, geez, Mark, you know, <laughs> I wish I'd seen this side of you when we were racing way back when. Yeah. And, and he was like, Oh no, it was there, Kevin. It just, you know, you, you just, th there were very few people who got to see that, but Mark was just so intense as a racer that, um, and I think unless you were really close to him, you didn't see that side of him. Um, but Hey, you want, you want fun. Just spend time with Mark and his son, Matt's, uh, Matt's, his son is a great, great person as well. And you just kind of go, wow. Um, you know, and Julie Moss, obviously, uh, you know, Matt's his mom and, and Mark's his ex-wife and wonderful lady as well. And you can just see that, that Matt's is a, this wonderful combination of the two of them and a really cool young man. And, and yeah, couldn't say more good things about Mark Allen as well. So yeah. we could keep going on this. There's a lot of really amazing yeah. people in our sport. So we should stop Definitely. while we're, because otherwise we'll be here for two hours. 
Well, that's right. And it'll all be in my book uh, that I'm releasing, Kevin. It's called Two Shit to Dope. Um, and um, I'll be writing a little excerpt about uh, about that. So about all the people I've met. Um, Kevin, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, are you staying in your neck of the woods for the next little while? I am, yes. Yeah, uh, here in uh, Canada and North America until uh, sort of mid uh, mid. July and then a little bit of bedlam starts from there. So, well, we got you here, and that's a win. We got you out of Lanzarote alive. That's a win, Uh, (laughs) and you're still upright, which is also a victory. So, thank you to you uh, for your work today, and also the beautiful people at Triathlon Magazine Canada, which is the finest publication you can see where Kevin steers that ship. So, check that out. Make sure you are um, hitting that online and. If you do uh, like what you hear today, come back again, listen to us, uh, find us on Instagram at Life of Try. You can find us on the Twitter, just Mac Attack Dad and me. Uh, that's about it, Kevin. We'll catch you in a week's time, buddy. Yes, and we'll talk about that sub seven, sub eight thing that's coming up um, oh, at that point. Yeah, we'll talk about the draft. Oh, all right, come on, Phil. <laughs> all right, we'll catch up with all the sub seven, sub eight next time we see each other via the uh, beauty of uh, podcasting. And thanks again for listening wherever you are. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for listening to The Life of Try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at The Life of Try.